Lord brought a scripture to my heart and I wrote it down. Brother, I know your name, but it's slipping my mind. Who testified? Brother Richard? Brother Richard, I wrote this scripture down before I came into the meeting. Amen. I want to read it to you. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we receive mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of the truth. We are commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of God who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For the God who said light, God once talked to the light. Light, shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts this darkness, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay and earthen vessels. Brother Howard referenced this passage on Saturday, but he says, in this place, he says, the God who, who talked to the light has spoken and shown in our hearts to give Jesus' face to the world. You need to let that process in your mind a little bit. He has shown in our hearts to give the light of Jesus' face to the world. That suggests that if we let God project into our hearts, it reflects Jesus from our faces. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Then I also have this scripture written down. Brother Richard, same thought, very familiar passage. Correct your son and he will give you comfort. He will also delight your soul. But where there is no vision, the people perish. But happy is he who keeps his word or his law. Amen. He goes on and talks about how a slave, and I thought how he says here that they are perishing because their minds are blinded to the gospel. And in Proverbs he's saying they're perishing because they don't have vision, the right perspective, the right insight, the right outlook toward the future. And he begins here by saying, if we, therefore, since we, he says, we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by manifestation of the truth. What happened when the invisible God 
became manifest. Who was the manifestation of the invisible God? This word manifestation is like the word incarnation. It means to make visible that which is otherwise not visible. So when he says in John, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, that's what Paul is referring to right here when he says, by manifestation of the truth, we are commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. I remember I taught on these passages in the pavilion some years ago. I don't know if any of you remember that. Do you remember that? But I want to, I want to dwell a little bit on this. What does he mean when he says, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God? And that somehow this is tied to the manifestation of the truth. How would you commend yourself to another's conscience through the manifestation of the truth? I would say one thing that strikes me is he's speaking about manifesting Christ and if we truly are the body of Christ, if we allow, we have to allow Jesus to shine out of our faces, out through, come through our words, be what Christ would call us to be to our brother. And by doing that, Amen. Amen. So he's just said in the previous passage, he said, we are not like Moses who put a veil over his face, but we use great boldness of speech. Suggesting that to speak transparent truths is to lift the veil. How many of you have remember some clips from the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock, where T.S. Eliot writes and he says, Do I dare and do I dare force the moment to a crisis? Do I spit out the buttons of my days and ways while one resting upon a pillow? If I should say, this is what I feel, he goes on and on. If she should turn her face to the wall and say, that is not what I meant at all. That is not what I meant at all. Would it all been worthwhile after all? What he's describing is he's saying, do I dare to lift the veil? Do I dare to say what God is speaking to me if I don't trust the conscience and the receptivity of those around me? Do you understand? To be transparent with truth, to speak something you dare to believe is from God requires that you put yourself on a, out on a platter, as Eliot goes on to say. I have seen my head brought in on a platter, but I am not a prophet, and here is no great matter. Amen. He's talking about daring to be vulnerable, daring to speak what's inside. If after you do so, somebody should turn, I don't know what he's talking about. So Paul is saying we are not like Moses, who put a veil over his face, but in the church, we can have transparent truth. But you don't dare to be transparent about a truth with a crowd of people that you can't trust, that you can't commend yourself to their consciences. I need to trust your conscience, 
before I can manifest the truth. And if I don't trust how you're going to handle what God has given me, then I'm going to wrap it up. Did not Jesus command, do not cast your pearls before swine and, give, and do not give that which is holy to dogs? He was saying, you got something, but you need to wait until you can commend yourself to the consciences of those around you. Amen? Because if you don't, they're going to gobble it up and not know the difference. A swine does not distinguish between a pebble and a pearl. A dog does not know whether something is holy or delicious. They have no ability to distinguish. They do not have their senses exercised to discern between good and evil. They are the definition of indifference. I remember sitting in another country and the Lord was just starting a little work there and His Spirit was starting to move and I believe Brother Josiah had begun to sing a song and we felt His presence just kind of settling in and somebody very disruptively got up and said, can I get everybody coffee or tea in the middle of it? And I told these folks, dear folks, but I said, now listen, if you don't treat the appearance of God's presence as special and sacred, you will train people that it's not worth it to make the sacrifice to get something from God. And they will begin to look at you, I'll go on and say tonight, like the swine that gobbles up the pearls. You drop your string of pearls in there and the swine's just like, oh, but those are so valuable. He snorts and wags his tail. It means nothing to him. He does not distinguish between pebbles and pearls. In the same way, people, individuals, or a people, who do not distinguish between the holy and the profane, who do not have an ear tuned for God, who do not have that attitude that Job had when he said, I esteem the words of thy mouth more than my necessary food. They could be given a chest of pearls and diamonds Rubies, emeralds, gold and silver. And they can't tell the difference between that and the same old garbage they've been playing with as babes in Christ their whole life. And to that crowd, those who have something from God are going to battle locking it up because they cannot commend themselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. If I've got something to share with you tonight that is from God, I think you know that it takes some vulnerability on my part. I might be wrong. I may be off. 
I may make mistakes or I may have something that cost me something to get. And if I cannot commend myself to your conscience, I cannot trust you. I cannot speak what I really want to speak. So we see times in the Bible where Jesus said, I have much to say to you, but you're not able to hear it. And we even see Paul writing a born-again congregation and saying, you are but babes. See, a baby doesn't know the difference between pearls and plastic beads either. Though you ought to be men, you're still babes. And I have much to say to you that I am not able to say. He's saying, I cannot commend myself to your consciences because your consciences are still darkened. Hebrews talks about our consciences being washed, purified by the blood of Jesus Christ. What is that conscience that he's talking about that is purified, our conscience sprinkled clean? We've been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Conscience means knowledge with or knowledge. And there's a certain kind of consciousness where you're very conscious of certain things in a very self-protective or suspicious or wary way. Am I right? So we see that kind of evil conscience born when? All the way back to the Garden of Eden, right? We heard your voice, and so we hid. We were afraid. Well, there's a consciousness, but it's an evil consciousness. It's suspicion. God's out to get me. Somebody's out to trap me. Somebody's going to snare me. But he says that the godly have been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience through the blood. Whatever suspicions you had about God, whatever fears made you hide in your fig leaves, when we see the sacrifice, when we behold the Lamb of God in His ultimate display of love that is spoken of in that John 3 passage Brother Richard quoted, when we see what Jesus gave for us, somehow we're supposed to get scrubbed clean from all that suspicion. Somehow we're supposed to be washed from that evil, suspicious conscience. And then we have confidence to enter by a new and living way. Amen. To come into the presence of God. Thank you, Jesus. And to receive the manifestation of the truth that would come to us through the body that has Christ shining in its hearts and is reflecting His glory, His face to us and to the world. So he says, we're not using a veil. But if there's a veil, the veil lies on your heart. What is the veil? 
You ever seen a child hide behind its mommy's skirts and peek out to see if it was okay to come out? Hide behind a door? Look through the crack of a barely open door? That child is fearful. That child is suspicious. He's wary. And the veil is self-protection. A veil lies over their hearts. They don't have that transparency that would let the light of God soak all the way in and change them. But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whom the God is, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. So there's a blindness. There's a failure to perceive. What did Jesus say? Having eyes to see, you do not see. And having ears to hear, you do not hear. So that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. We're here to serve you on behalf of Jesus, is what he's saying. For the God who talked to the light, talked to the darkness that was in our hearts, and commanded that darkness would give way to light, and that light would reflect the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He shines in our hearts and gives God's glory in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. And he goes on and he says, we are afflicted in every way. If we want to move forward in the maturing manifestation of the corporate Christ on the earth, if we want to see that happen, there's got to be a certain kind of trust between us. And what kind of trust am I talking about? A kind that allows those who have heard from God to commend themselves to clean consciences. Isn't that what, what the pledge of baptism is? That I no longer suspect you, God. Thank you, Jesus. 1 Peter 3.21 Corresponding to that, baptism does now save us. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. Jesus, I won't hide behind fig leaves when you speak to me. Jesus, I won't second guess when you speak to me. Jesus, your blood has washed away all of my veils and a veil no longer lies on my heart. But the scales have fallen and I am ready to trust you unreservedly. Thank you, Jesus. We have to have this trust. We have to have a trust, what, in your flesh? Cursed is he who puts his trust in man. So if you trust the flesh, even people in the body, I mean in the body of Christ, you're going to be cursed. Because Paul said, in my flesh there is no good thing. We're not trusting man. We're only trusting man in as much as man disappears 
and becomes a conduit for the grace of God. Let us minister the grace of God in its various forms, right? You say, well, I don't want to trust man. Well, what about the grace of God? Amen. If any man speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone serves, let him serve with the strength which God supplies. So what I'm trusting is that Jesus is Lord. That the Holy Spirit is Lord. That now the Lord is the Spirit in your life. I've given the example even Saturday and, and at other times of the familiar story of when Peter baptized Cornelius. And we're encouraged by Acts 11 and Acts 15 because we see disagreement in the church. <laughs> Why does that encourage us? Because it says we're human. <laughs> and they were too. And if they were able to not be right every time the first time, but to finally get the mind of God, well, we can get there too. So when I see something like that, my spirit just swells inside of me. Wow! God is going to help us. So what do we see in that scenario? We see Peter baptizing Cornelius and the remaining 11 did not seem to give an endorsement to his step of faith, did they? Now he did it because he thought he was something where he didn't need to ask permission, right? He said, I'm a big shot. You guys are out of it for even asking me. I'm the one who got the keys, jingle, jingle. Get back. Is that what he did? No, in fact, he went to, the, to, to Jerusalem. He submitted to their questions. Why did he baptize Cornelius? Because Peter did not want to be an obstruction in the advance of God through the world. He said, not, I think I can do this because I am. He said, I better do this because who am I to stand in God's way? He didn't baptize Cornelius because of what he was. He baptized Cornelius because what he wasn't. He wasn't willing to be an obstruction in the path of God. He didn't go there planning to baptize Cornelius. He didn't go there planning to do something that was going to freak everybody else out. He didn't even want to go there. He looked at Cornelius like a reptile and all kinds of other unclean things. That's what the Bible tells us he saw when God was trying to tell him not to call any man unclean. It says that all kinds of four-footed creatures like reptiles came down. This was not some ambition he was wor working on on the side. He was pretty hesitant to go there. But when he got there, the Lord is the Spirit. And as the Holy Ghost began to move through the preaching of the Word, and then the Holy Ghost fell, and they all began to speak in other tongues, all the circumcision marveled. Peter and everybody, whoa, this is incredible. We came with a certain expectation, but the Lord is the Spirit, and we are not one to start arguing with the one we have crowned King and Lord. He is moving. He is burning on hearts. 
We feel it. We know his voice. And we're not going to argue. So he said, who was I to stand in God's way? Lord, Lord. I was asked once to do that. I was told that I needed to, to, to wait for an interminable amount of time until a certain cluster of men could consent to the will of God. And we pleaded, we're not doing this because we think we're great. We're doing this because we feel too insignificant to stand in God's way. But I'm getting back to where I was going, which is they disagreed with it at first. But what happened? Since you've heard it, you tell it. What happened when he went to the conversation with the 11 who thought he might be wrong? He got offended. He said, how dare you question me? I am an apostle. And the church split. That was the end. We never got first or second Peter. Luke picked up his pen and that part just trailed off. What happened when he went there? He said he commended himself to their consciences in the sight of God and they witnessed the manifestation of the truth. They came into the room thinking he was off. But the Lord was the Spirit for them. And all they needed was to hear that ring of truth, to feel that burning in their hearts that took them all the way back to Emmaus, all the way back to the Sermon on the Mount and all the other messages Jesus preached. Ooh, and it says they quieted down and glorified God. Who quieted down the flesh? Who glorified God? The sons of God, the apostles of the Lamb. We see it. God has granted the Gentiles repentance unto life. What would Peter have felt if he had gone to that first meeting and Thomas had said, Peter, I just don't know. My second cousin thrice removed got killed by a Gentile centurion. And I just, I have bad experiences with these people. I don't think I will. I don't think I can. Now Peter would have started to freak out. Now he would have been worried. And he'd come back the next day and said, Thomas, hear me out. I want to make myself vulnerable again. I want to commend myself to your conscience again, Thomas. I believe that if I tell it to you as it happened, if I share it with you as God gave it, I believe it's going to resonate with something inside of you. Thomas says, no. No, I got a blockage. A little veil has slipped over part of my vision, and I can't hear you anymore. That would have become the beginning of the breakdown of the church. And when that happened, that's how the church dissolved. Amen. But he had full confidence that he could speak without filter, without fear, without concern for his skin, only concern for the purpose of God because he trusted these men. But what did he trust? That they wouldn't get it wrong ever? Because they got it wrong on this count. No. No, he trusted what the, the only thing any of us should ever trust. He trusted that the Lord 
was the Spirit in their life. That Jesus was their Lord. That they had a higher regard for the Spirit of God than their opinions, than their experiences, than their past. Amen. God speaks to us, brothers and sisters. God sovereignly reveals his gracious word to us. He gives us the manifestation of the truth in a way that I don't know is happening anywhere else. I didn't say it isn't. I said I don't know of it. And yet we can go to church and sit in meetings where God reads our mail where he reveals the secrets of our hearts. But some do not fall on their face and say, Amen, God, it's over. Give me a new frame. I'm laying down my old frames. Some would try to incorporate that frame-breaking truth into the perspective of the flesh. The hermeneutic of suspicion. The evil conscience that they were supposed to be washed clean from. And nothing is more dangerous to the church. Because then we will get where we cannot commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. We'll be like, well, I have much to say, but I'm not sure if I should say it. I remember sitting in my office with someone I dearly loved. And he asked me all these questions. This was before he turned his back on God and threw away every truth he once held dear. Not far from my own age, I remember sitting in my office with him. And he asked me all these questions, and there's another brother here who was there with me, and he can testify. I said to him, I said, I'm sitting here trying to know whether I can trust you enough to tell you the truth or whether I have to be real careful with you. And he burst into tears and said, I, I just hate that you would feel that way. But a veil was slipping over his vision and it just kept getting more and more complete. The God of this world was blinding through this right here. We need to take the veil off our hearts. Thank you, Jesus. Before it was over, he was on his face in a puddle. God, forgive me. God, I see it. There was a breakthrough. We came outside right out here on the patio and there was this huge double rainbow. The next day I heard that he was happier than he had been in 12 years. That's what the word I got. Amen. But I am so sorry to say he just kept letting that cataract of clouding suspicion creep back over his vision. Things that God had delivered him from. Amen. It's not a small thing. 
It's a deadly thing when that is happening. When you can't tell the difference between something that is anointed of God and something that is the rubbish of human making. When you can't tell the difference between someone who is sent to you by God and someone who comes in their own name. When you can't make distinctions between things that look similar. Every time God wants to do something great, the devil has a forerunner to go prepare the way for the Lord. How, how many of you remember how when they were brought before the Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin said, was there not a guy named Bar-Jesus who arose some time ago and took away some after him and it came to nothing? I scratched my head. Bar-Jesus? What? Just before the king of the Jews comes on the scene, they get a phony king in the name of Herod, Herod the Great. There's always a counterfeit just ahead, just before the fellowship moved from New Jersey out to Colorado to have a real community. This idiot out in wherever does the Jim Jones thing. No sooner did they get here before they could even get a reputation. And what happens across town? Those, that cult, uh, David Koresh, Branch Davidians. The devil's always got to bar Jesus so that the fearful and the blinded can say, yeah, yeah, we remember there was something like this that happened already. But those with a clean conscience can say, I heard that bar Jesus speak. I saw how that went down, and I know the difference between pebbles and pearls, the holy and the profane. And I know the Lord is going to bear with our, with our slowness. He's going to discipline, like a, discipline us like a father, his son. He's going to be patient with us, and his long-suffering is our salvation. But we got to come to know whether we are one for whom the messenger of God or Jesus would commend himself to our conscience. And if we are, it's because we have had our senses exercised. We know the difference between the authentic and the phony baloney. Even though they look so similar. We know that the time of Jesus there was a, a false community that arose called the Essenes. There was a false Messiah called Bar-Jesus. Isn't it amazing? Is that, remar is that remarkable to you? Because it is to me. There's always going to be something that we can point to and say, I remember when this happened. It was a terrible thing question is, do you know the voice of God? Do you know the resonance of the Holy Spirit? Can God trust you to hear the truth? Or does he have to store this away in the category of much that he wants to say that you're not able? This is reframing. I want God to speak things in every meeting that break the frame my flesh 
would try to make to contain God and his promises. You believe Martha got her frame broke that day when he said, I am the resurrection, let's go to the tomb. But he's already stinking, shut up, let's go to the tomb. Amen. My paraphrase, amen. Frames broke that day. Just picture if that door right there started swelling and expanding inexplicably until the door frame popped all around it. That's what's supposed to happen when the word comes into your heart. That word that is inconsistent with the perspective of the flesh. That word which the carnal man cannot perceive. It's supposed to get in there and just break apart everything that exalts itself above the knowledge of God. Every stronghold. Amen. Every fortress. Amen. Bunker-busting words that penetrate deep down and break the walls out. Thank you, Jesus. So, Lord, renew us. Transform us through the renewing of our minds. Amen. If we have been new, help us be new again. Renewing. That means new again. Get us to that newness again. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And help us to trust, not flesh, not flesh, but the anointing. Help us to trust that feeling that says, okay, he's here. Amen. This, this is a manifestation of the truth. Go ahead and commend yourself to my conscience. You're safe with me. Brother Richie testified a few weeks ago about how when, when they were going to New Jersey, I think y'all were expecting a baby at the time, and, and Sister Chris was asking some questions, and, and, and he said something to her along the lines of, he said, if they're going to Colorado, we're going to Colorado. There's something, <laughs> there was something there that said, it doesn't fit in my frame. It's okay for my frame to break. Amen. Just don't let my relationship, don't let, don't let this reality I have with my brothers and sisters and with God break. Thank you, Jesus. Your frame may be incompatible with what Jesus is about to do. Thank you, Lord. All the disciples had a frame, didn't they? Amen. And he talked to them about their frames. He said, does this amaze you? What are you going to do? Does this offend you? I'm sorry. What are you going to say when you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? Their frame was that he was going to be their president, their king. That he was going to restore the natural kingdom to Israel. And he said, if you're going to be offended when I say things like eat my flesh and drink my blood, I'm warning you, you're going to be really offended when you see me leave and go back to heaven. Amen. You're going to be let down. You're going to be offended at the ascension, the glorification of the Son of Man. Amen. Because your frame can't contain it. Thank you, Jesus. But I'm sending something that's going to break down every frame and give you a new frame. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to pour forth my spirit on you. You're not even going to have words for what is going to come inside. That's okay. I'm going to give you an unknown tongue. And if you yield to it, I'll create a new frame. Amen.